fat. So we found that when the dose is tight, so this is an enzyme, so it's no longer present, but then the vesicular fluid inside the cyst then spark, uh, I would say, inflammation, which then lead uh, um, to um, development of, of uh, can lead to development of uh, epileptic manifestation. And this uh, and this has, of course, uh, a therapeutic application. This is Immuno Africa, a podcast dedicated to spotlighting African immunology research. Here, we amplify the stories of Africans researching the immune system to tackle the continent's growing burden of infectious and non-communicable diseases. I am Ralph Okete, a biochemist and science communicator in Nigeria keenly interested in research on immune system. On Immuno Africa, I explore and communicate research through the eyes and lips of Africans who do them. Whether you are a seasoned immunologist, a burden researcher, or even an untrained person, I hope the time you spent here rewards you remarkably. Enjoy! Dr. Fabian Pujinoto leads us on our first dive into neglected tropical diseases, a group of diseases that affect some of the world's poorest populations. Now a senior scientist in immunology and parasitology at the Technical University of Munich, Germany, Dr. Pujinoto's journey into neglected tropical diseases research began from his early days as a young scientist in Benin. At the Technical University of Munich, his research focuses on the immunopathology of various neglected tropical diseases and has led him to several notable findings. Worthy of note is his recent elucidation of the mechanisms underlying the epileptic seizures that characterize neurocysticercosis, a disease caused by tapeworms, which he talks about in this episode. I'm Fabien, so Fabien Progenuto. And I'm, I'm a researcher, so and right now I'm a senior scientist at the Technical University of Munich, so in in, in Germany. And um, how how did I get here? So so I originated from Benin, Benin, and then I always have passion into understanding so the the immunology determining parasite uh, uh, interaction because quite early I believe strongly that uh, learning from this crosstalk can set avenues to, to develop therapy and then so uh, on this way uh, I did my my bachelor and master study in Benin and then after I have been selected uh, for a scholarship within the German uh, exchange program, so so-called DAAD. So uh, I got this scholarship, DAD scholarship, and then I moved to, to Germany and I complete my, my PhD at the University Clinic Bonn so in Germany. And that was already on also host parasite interaction. So the immunology of this and especially the immune regulation by helmet uh, infection and, and, and the antibody that they, they induce. So um, after I finished my, my, my PhD uh, in Bonn, so I moved now to Munich, where, where am I, to continue my career as postdoctoral researcher and, and, and senior scientist now in, in immunology and parasitology at the Technical University of, of, of Munich here. So this is, this is basically about me. And then I'm working right now, as I said, a lot uh, to to in investigation to to understand how uh, parasite in general 
can then uh, uh, immunoregulate the host immune response and uh, how we can use, we can learn from this to, to, to develop better treatment uh, for, for affect, affected individuals in, the, in, in, in endemic countries. And I also, I mean, so uh, beside my, my immunological research, I, I really like, I'm quite committed to, to build capacity in sub-Saharan African uh, contest for immunological uh, research. And then we have been then uh, organizing one week school, but also webinar or, or, or lecture or courses on immunological uh, um, technique, so immunological uh, implication of infectious diseases for young researchers from Southern Africa, then to help them to, to understand how powerful immunology is, to understand disease, and then from even from them, them contest to, 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 to move forward diagnostic of, the, of those diseases as well. And I do believe that doing so we can help building capacity in, in sub-Saharan Africa, but also to, to, to build a platform for, for sub-Saharan Africa network for research in, in immunology. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, and I, I must say you are doing quite a lot, uh, apart from the being involved in research. It's interesting that you're also uh, giving attention to capacity building and mentorship and teaching. Now you're you're working on um, neglected tropical diseases. I I never knew like there were certain diseases that had that tag, um, neglected tropical diseases. So I I think I stumbled upon them online and then read so many interesting um, facts about um, NTDs, um, that's neglected tropical diseases. So I know in Africa there's malaria, there's HIV/AIDS, there's tuberculosis with um, really high incidence, high mortality. I think that that's like the three major diseases plaguing the continent at the moment. So why were you drawn to um, neglected diseases? So uh, uh, I think you, 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 you mentioned this well, so those big diseases affecting uh, people in, in Africa. But besides those, which are quite also, I won't say uh, um, under-investigated. So we have also this group of 20, Diseases called neglected tropical diseases, uh, which um, affect mostly quite poor people in tropical regions. And and I think when I was in Benin, so and then I grew up in in village. So we have you know we have people with elephantiasis, for instance, you know people with big feet, and 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 then usually you see how those uh, um, people are affected. And, and they are not really accepted in the society. And this is something that I, I did not at that time uh, believe that this can be due to really uh, infection by parasites. We used to learn that can be uh, due to other things, you know, non-parasitic um, uh, factors. And then I, I attend the courses on that uh, during my, my bachelor's degree where I learned that indeed this disease, elephantiasis, lymphatic filariasis, so it's not due to non-parasitic um, um, factors, but then really 
induced and due to parasitic pathogens. So this really sparked my interest into that to further understand so why this, how this happened and what can we learn from that. So this is basically how I start learning or uh, uh, even deeping into neglected tropical disease. And then I found out that indeed it's not only this disease, but then other diseases in the same context affect people, which are quite underestimated, which are not, which are not um, um, so open. And then besides lymphatic filariasis, you have also so many diseases like schistosomiasis besides malaria. Or even after malaria, schistosomiasis is the second big uh, um, uh, tropical infection affecting people, affecting people in in endemic regions. And then I learned, okay, so you still have so many of those neglected tropical diseases affecting people. I said, okay, this is really a field where I want to research, a field where I want to understand what's happening, a field where I want to give more into the to understanding this disease. And as you know, disease today, everything originated from, from, from immunology uh, of the host. And then this is how I get into, so combining already my interest in immunology and then uh, uh, um, getting known about neglected tropical diseases. So I just, okay, then uh, I go for that because I want to understand this and then and at least um, explain to those people, so what what is happening here? And this is how my interest into, into immunology of neglected tropical diseases sparks. And yeah, I'm here now to, a day to, to further investigate into this, this field. As stated earlier on, Dr. Fabian Proginotto's work on neurocysticercosis, a disease caused by tapeworm, is the focus of this episode. And that is exactly what we delved into next. So thank you. I mean, um, uh, so you are, you are talking about tapeworm now, and then uh, here we have uh, important collaboration and funding to to investigate, especially uh, infection caused by the by tenia solium. And then in in this regard, for tenia solium, so the the larvae, the so-called cysts is the one uh, causing the, the the disease. And this disease is called so neurocysticercosis. And it's quite associated. One of the major uh, manifestations of neurocysticercosis is the development of epileptic seizure. What I found out is that when you take when you take the cyst which inhabit in the brain, so you have two parts of the cyst. So you can have a viable cyst which completely immune regulate the, the, um, the, the whole system and then really prevent inflammation. And then I found that ended an enzyme present in this viable cyst called glutamate dehydrogenase completely then overcomes the, 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 the immune system by inducing regulatory TCS, which prevent com complete inflammation in the brain, but also in the peripheral situation as well. But then on the other part, so we found that when the doses died, so this enzyme so is no longer present, but then the vesicular fluid inside the cyst then spark, uh, I would say, inflammation, which then lead to, uh, can lead to development of uh, epileptic manifestation. 
and this uh, and this has of course uh, a therapeutic implication when you know that then there is a molecule inducing or uh, completely preventing inflammation there is another flu to contain molecule also inducing inflammation of course you will be able to develop a therapy against this or to foster this um, um, induction of regulatory T cells to completely block inflammation or to have the inhibitor antibody to block the molecule that induce inflammation in the brain at least to completely prevent um, epileptic manifestation in affected people in, in, in sub-Saharan Africa but also in other Andean regions in the world. My understanding of what the explanation you gave, so um, the same cysts, uh, depending on the, well, I say the status of the cysts could promote inflammation or prevent inflammation. Exactly, depending on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm elaborating a little bit more, more on that, you know, so basically the cyst itself, so I don't want to get back to the whole life cycle of the of the parasite but the most important thing is that this infection is is due to really poor hygiene and sanitation condition because people live in with free roaming pigs and then the life cycle uh, is complete between pigs and and and, and humans so whereby when people eat then under cooked pork, pork meat so infested with the seeds of the parasite so they get infected, and then the seeds of then uh, uh, the seeds develop into into adult worm where it produces eggs, and then at the end, so when people with really high poor hygiene condition, yeah, no toilet, no proper toilet, mm. no sanitation, so they get uh, in contact accidentally with the cyst. Um, with the eggs uh, of the parasite from stool. So this egg then develops into cysts and then the cyst somehow has a kind of predilection from the brain and then get into the brain. When they get into the brain and then establish in the brain, so they can remain there when they are viable. And this is now where I want to answer your question about the stage of the cyst. So when they are viable, so they can live in the brain of infected people for years, 20 years, even more, without uh, even uh, instigating a uh, symptom. And then those people live in a kind of win-win situation with the cis. And then this is what we show now, now that we just published recently, is that indeed this viable cis, the so-called um, uh, vesicular uh, cis, so they have this enzyme, which completely then uh, uh, hijack the, the, the immune system in, in, in the brain. Also the most important um, uh, immune cell, the microglia in the brain. And then they reside there, living in win-win situation with the host. But then when it happened that the system died, so then we are, we are, now, we are now talking about degenerated cysts when they died and then this can be due to just natural death because of the aging they they get old and then they died into the in the brain and or people you know we have this mass drug administration in endemic region for neglected tropical 
diseases when you use proxy content to treat people. So the treatment, anti-helmetic treatment, then uh, a kill basically to say it in in simple world the cyst. And then when the cyst is now kill, the cyst start now to degenerate over different stages. And then this degeneration of the cyst then cause the inflammation which happened in the in the brain because the cyst release molecule from the fluid inside fluid which then activate different immune cells to produce pro-inflammatory mediators cytokine or interferon gamma tnf alpha l12 l1 beta and then all this inflammation caused by those uh, cytokine in the brain completely disrupt the, the blood-brain barrier, but also um, the immune cell in the, in the brain and cause um, as well um, uh, dysfunction of the synapse, you know, neurosynapse in the brain. And then this lead to uh, um, epileptic uh, manifestation. So to be, to be even clear here, so what drives this epileptic manifestation right now is not known, but then certain molecules have been found to be playing an important role in this um, in the epileptic um, manifestation. So this is globally what happened. But then, of course, we can get into details, and then I can also go to, uh, give details about how they affect the immune cells, and then in which sense, in which regard. So this can lead to epileptic uh, manifestation as well. Thank you for that explanation. Uh, yeah before we go into details i i have this question because um i'm wondering from the explanation you've just provided so uh, you mentioned a win-win situation so when these cysts are still like viable they can live in the brain as if they are not harming humans and humans mm. aren't harming them so humans are safe um <clears throat> the individual who has who has um, this cyst in his or her brain does not experience any epileptic uh, symptoms and all of that. But then when this cyst die, so maybe from mm. drug treatment mm. or through natural means, they release some you know, some molecules and all of that that could lead to epilepsy. So I'm wondering, is leaving the cyst, kind trying try to protect this cyst and keep them viable? Uh, is it is it safe? Is it actually a safer mm -hmm. method? Yeah. Mm -hmm. With okay. So that's my question. Yeah, yeah I got your question. It's a, it's a really good question. You know, we have we have a study ongoing in 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 Tanzania, and then sometime, of course, people people ask me this question. So 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 those people are happy with the parasite, right? So they do not develop symptom. So why do you want to uh, treat people so and then to, to also make it here so we we only treat people who develop a uh, symptom so but then coming back to your your question so you know you know and this is what is fantastic about host parasite uh, immunology so when 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 a host and the parasite come together and then from the immunological angle and then so what happened is you have three scenarios right so you have a scenario as you said now in a win-win situation so which might which means that the immune system completely compromised with the parasite and then accept that the parasite then overcomes the immune system and completely immunoregulate the immune system so this is the first scenario 
And this is what happens in, when, when viruses are present. And then the other scenario is that the immune system then overcome the immune regulation by the parasite, but without inducing chronic inflammation, which means the immune system completely expels the parasite without inflammation. And then we have also this in our study right now, where you can see that people, based on the antibody that they produce against the specific antibody against the parasite, but then they have been affected, but then they expel the parasite without inflammation. But then the other, the last scenario is this is that both sides then fight back whereby mm. the, the 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 immune system of the host then overcome the, the parasitic immune regulation but the cause is chronic inflammation and this is where people develop epilepsy so now do you want to treat people who are happy with the parasite so this is the main question how do you see that they have parasite in the brain I usually use to respond to people, you never know when this parasite will die. You never yeah. know when the immune regulation by the parasite will be off and then the, the immune system fight back and then chronic inflammation develop. You never know. But the important thing is you cannot treat people who do not develop symptoms because you can even increase uh, the symptom uh, uh, in those people. But then you have in the certain, in the certain uh, patient, so they have viable cysts, and then you have also mild uh, symptom like headache. And then most of the people developing this inflammation I'm talking about in epilepsy are people having mix of viable and degenerating cysts in the brain. And this mm. is how they, the cysts completely block. Uh, um, so I, wanna, I don't want to get into detail, but then the, the cysts, so the cysts, the, the, as you said, so the, the inflammation is not only due to the, to the presence of the cysts, but also it's due to the location of the cysts. So it can be in the parenchyma, the ventricles, but also in extra parenchyma space where they block completely the cerebrospinal fluid um, function. And then this cause, of course, um, uh, intense um, inflammation once the CSF is no longer playing uh, its role. And then this leads to um, uh, uh, development of, of, the, of the pathology. Uh, so if you have disease and then you are not developing symptom, so we do not treat you because we can cause another problem too. There are already problems at present. But then when you are, you are having symptoms, of course, we need to help you, right? So we, we need to we need to alleviate the 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 the, the burden uh, uh, from the people. So this is why when we when we um, diagnose um, the the presence of the parasite uh, into people, given the the the, the history and also the symptoms they develop, so we then provide treatment for those people. Okay, okay, okay. So you only offer treatment to people who are who are showing symptoms or maybe exactly. who, those who have yeah. So okay, maybe I want to add before individuals start developing symptoms, are you able to spot or identify those with a higher risk of developing symptoms? Yeah, I mean it's um it's also it's also a good question. Um 
you know, um, one of the finding that we um, we came across those last year of research into neurocysticercosis is the is co-infection with HIV, uh, which is uh, quite prevalent in in, in our in, in our study. So people people um, having disease in the brain, we saw that the most the the more symptoms you develop or, or, or disease you have, so you have also HIV. And then this can lead to another type of symptom. So iris and so. And then the, the question is whether the neurocystic psychosis infection then help in this way to have HIV or whether the HIV then uh, uh, predispose people to get neurocystic psychosis. But then the important thing is when you have people with symptoms, which mean really headache, strong headache, or epileptic manifestation all the time, or sporadic epileptic manifestation, or regular epileptic manifestation. So you need, of course, to screen them. So we need to do a serology to see uh, whether they have antigen or, or or, or, or antibody against the against the the, the cis or the, the, the adult worm the, the tinea as you said and then after we need now to screen their brain with a computed tomography um, scan which is quite expensive but then we need to screen their brain to see active infection and then then easily we can correlate this to the to the symptom that 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 they are having so we have people on site. Um, were quite devoted to this to really to really easily um, and quickly also pinpoint the, the the this classical development of symptom about uh, about headache but also when epilepsy start then to, to happen and they know that this endemic region for neurosis because then they send them in, they send the people into our study. So we have doctor on site um, in Tanzania this way we are doing the study who are quite prepared for that when they have this type of symptom and from they know from which region the people uh, come from so then they uh, occasionally already uh, uh, spot or uh, um, at least envision which kind of uh, uh, send them to, to to CT scan or also into our study to screen them. If, like me, you're wondering what these findings mean for neglected tropical diseases research, and particularly for neurocysticercosis, Dr. Pudinoto has got answers. Let's hear them. One of the, I would say, major findings uh, that we also um, identify here, and this is quite important, um, is that so when you have, when, when, when the, 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 the dying ceases, the, the dead cyst releasing the vesicle, so inside the vesicle, uh, uh, then comes in contact with microglia. And this is the fantastic uh, about the story. What happened is that, so they induce a quite inflamed uh, uh, potential uh, a prototype, a phenotype in the microglia. And then at the same time, they hinder the microglia to phagocytose uh, dead cells. 
this is really this is one of the major concern in, in this disease so which mean basically the the, the the inflammation is caused by this death of disease the vesicular fluid but then at the same time inflammation means that you have a lot of dead cells right so you inflame in the environment you have a lot of dead cells but then the the hemostasis which um can can can, can come after that or the restoring of the human study needs a really clear function and, and potent function of microglia to remove all those dead cells or inflamed cells. But interestingly, in this context with the with the with the dead cells, it completely hinders microglia phagocytosis um, function, which means microglia are inflamed, they produce a lot of inflammatory factors, but then the, the cells which died in the environment here, and then we, we, are, we are also showing now that the dead cells, the dead um, cells cause a lot of apoptosis in T cells, CD8 T cells, CD4 T cells as well. So imagine that you have all those dead cells surrounding uh, um, the the, the, the dead cells in the brain. So you have a concept of inflammation in the brain, but then the microglia, the gatekeeper, they are not able to remove those cells. And this is also where from the inflammation, where from the epileptic manifestation uh, um, uh, stem, because it's completely blocked uh, the synaptic um, function of those, uh, of the neuron there as, as well. But this has, this has implication, of course. So, which means that basically, if you can pinpoint the molecules which are present in the in this dead cells, the vesicular fluid, which induce this in, intense inflammation, then you can block the action of this. You can block the crosstalk or the the, the binding of this molecule onto microglia or the cell then to induce inflammation. This this the first really important therapeutic implication here. The second one is that so you can have molecules from the dead cells and molecules from the viral cells as well coming into the periphery once the blood-brain barrier is is uh, disrupted, which means even without going till uh, um, CT scan, so using CT scan machine, which is extremely expensive, you can pinpoint which stage of the cells you have in the brain when you have those specific molecules, for instance, the glutamate dehydrogenase, we've, we found only glutamate dehydrogenase in viruses. When you have this around in the periphery, so you can say, okay, this means that glutamate dehydrogenase of viruses are present. And when we will pinpoint those specific molecules from the dead cells, the vesicular fluid, which then induce inflammation, for instance, also in the periphery, we can even without going toward um, CT scan, we can already say, oh, this patient has dead cysts in the brain and then inflammation can then um, uh, can come uh, uh, at, at any time. So this is an important second implication, which means diagnostic uh, in, this, in this regard. And then the last one, or I mean the, one of the the important last one is now the induction of regulatory T cell that we we, we found, and this is completely a novel pathway in, in, in developing um, uh, regulatory T cells. And then we found that this happened via the role of lipid mediators, prostaglandin, and but also 
a cytokine, anti-inflammatory cytokine like IL-10, which are induced by the glutamate dehydrogenase enzyme present in viabilities. So if you can use this enzyme present in viabilities and, and then even foster the, the action of this enzyme somehow in periphery, but also maybe in the in the um, in the brain. So we in that you can um, implement or at least uh, foster the, the development of regulatory T cells, which are which suppress inflammation uh, in the brain, but also in the in the periphery. And then you can also use those molecules that we we, for instance, um, uh, recombinantly express. Then in other setting, in other setting, and then we are planning some in vivo experiment where well, we can inject this molecule and then foster uh, in locally in tissue the, the development of, of regulatory T cells um, uh, uh, in many inflamed tissue. So those are important. Um, and then we are trying now to, 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 to understand more about this, how we can use those or whether even other lipid mediator can play a role uh, in this sense where we have now a big project um, in regulatory T cells and SFP, uh, as we used to call it in Germany, where we are now, uh, we start now investigating this. So those are just just three important implications of those data that we recently, recently published. But there are also uh, many other implications, depending on from which angle you, you see the story. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think that's that's a lot of applications, um, both in developing therapies and in the diagnostics. So I, I think the diagnosing part is is um, is will really really be helpful because you mentioned that um, CT scans, of course, are quite expensive. So and considering the fact that most majority of people who come on with this with this disease and maybe other um, entities are from poor background and low income background so if there are cheaper methods to diagnose uh, the condition then that would be that would give them hope increase survival and also mean that um it will be easier to tackle the diseases you are completely right well i mean the the enzyme that we are talking about glutamate dehydrogenase so um another finding um we we came across is is, is that is not only present in 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 tenacillin cyst. No, it's also present, for instance, in H. polygyris, uh, which is also kind of helminth um, uh, parasite. So, which means that is is not only an enzyme present in tenacillin cyst, but also is present in other helminth parasite as well, which already show be beyond neurocystis uh, um, uh, the implication of this finding about vitamin dehydrogenase from helminth parasite. Okay, so quickly before we wrap up, I quickly want to just find out from you because last month, late last month was the World Neglected Tropical Diseases Day and uh, there's this 2030 roadmap towards um, eliminating neglected tr tropical diseases, I think by 90%. What would you say about the progression towards reaching that goal? in 2030. Mm -hmm. I mean, you um, you nicely frame this. Uh, I mean, the WHO is is completely committed now to to eliminate or to control those diseases in many countries. Yeah. And for instance, schistosomiasis 
is a, is a goal set by the WHO by 2030 to completely eliminate the disease. But I mean, it's a nice goal. It's a it's an important goal. But to reach this goal, so we still we still have some drawback on the road. So, which imply the treatment master administration in 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 endemic region to control the the, the development of 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 those um, transmission of the disease. But this also imply, and this is the major concern that I think even the. the we have now in neglected tropical disease is to diagnose those diseases because the earlier or the the safer and less expensive cheaper technology you have to diagnose those diseases the easier it is for everyone then to get access to those uh, diagnostic um, uh, materials and and the the easier you get in in um, heat about the epidemiology, current epidemiology of those diseases, at least to treat this region or those regions and this region. Because to really get into detail, you have mass drug administration, of course, but then how many times per year do you have this in really high endemic region, for instance? Because this is also, you know, financial um, uh, uh, problem as well, but the WHO is quite committed in this sense to at least um, in region, remote region, uh, uh, to give access to those people. And I think another important point though, is uh, the the hygiene condition, sanitation. So I mean, most of the most of the, the neglected tropical disease, uh, uh, the risk factor is really poor hygiene and, and sanitation condition. They don't, people do not have really access to to water, to clean water, they do not have toilet, a proper toilet, and they have really poor uh, sanitation condition. So if we can help those people, uh, I mean, this is a classical thing, right? So if you can help the, those people having them clean water to not go to infested river, for instance, and then where they they need to get those infested water, getting uh, histosomiasis and, and so, or they have then build like proper toilet for the, for, for the people to not have um, uh, uh, contact with uh, with potential infected materials. And I think uh, um, importantly also is to educate those people. So the education of those people, educate them at least so that they know that they have those disease surrounding or they have those risk factors surrounding for instance if you are if you see neurocities because if you educate well people they go oh please cook well the pork meat that you are using that you are eating and then people will further understand this okay ah if i cook well my the, the pork meat okay i don't i i won't get infected for instance so this is also education right uh, right so i will just stress more here as you said uh, to really reach those goals the 2030 roadmap so we need to better understand the immunology of certain disease infection certain entities and then just imply directly then to develop new diagnostic um, tool which are safer reliable cheaper to get into endemic region portable um, uh, device so this is what I will stress out about uh, reaching the thirty, the twenty thirty uh, goals.
yeah thank you so much for uh, that um the recommendations i would say so i love how you involved everybody from the world that organization to individuals in local communities it's it, it has to be joint efforts yeah and of course scientists also like mm. you <laughs> are playing their parts and um, putting in all the efforts to make sure we get um, better diagnostics and therapeutics and have better understanding of the infections because um, we need that understanding mm. to make progress and that brings us to the end of this episode why neglected tropical diseases still pose critical health threats to countries across africa asia and the americas we can count on amazing scientists like dr Proginoto, who are working tirelessly to help us find the easiest cheapest and quickest route out of this mess we've been wrapped in although 2030 doesn't seem so far away if we pull our efforts together and support scientists we may just smash those goals Thank you for listening to this episode on Immuno Africa. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it with your network. You will learn first about future episodes and get other immunology related updates by following Immuno underscore Africa or the Immunology in Africa podcast on social media. See you on the next episode. Bye.